You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning. My name is Avis, and I have been attending Hope for about nine years. Please stand for today's reading. What gain? We're reading from Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 13. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Are you good? Okay. Good too. Good morning. Happy Advent to you. It's exciting that uh, you are here today to start our Advent season at Hope uh, with us this morning. Today we start our series uh, and uh, we are preaching through a song. You say, well, that's very odd. Well, give us a little moment and we'll explain to you in in just a little bit. But uh, today I've called this as we kind of launch this series with you today. Tis the season of susceptibility. It's kind of odd, I know, but you'll, you'll kind of get it in just a minute. minute. But we have uh, decided to structure these next weeks with you by using the song, Oh Holy Night, which our worship team did an amazing job with this morning. It was so powerful. And so there are three verses to that old, familiar Christmas anthem that we want to take apart with you. And then also going to scripture absolutely without any doubt and, and finding those truths in scripture with you as well. I think sometimes we can become so over familiar with things this time of year that they somewhat lose their ability to move us. But when we look at this song, Oh Holy Night, it is such a moving song because songs are so very powerful within our lives. So I thought about that. That, that thing of songs being powerful. So couples have songs, and as you continue to re- your relationship over the years, then when you hear that song, it takes you back to a moment in your relationship with that individual. Sports teams have a fight song as well. I thought about playing one of those today, but I figured I would play the wrong one and I'd have an insurrection and things would go really bad with you during the service. So I chose not to do that, especially for some of you that didn't get your way this past week or this weekend, right? So we'll just kind of leave that where it lies as well. Um, Some of you have a spiritual song, you know, a song that just touches your heart like no other song does. And so in those moments or those days that you have, when you get in the car and and maybe you're struggling with something, you turn on that song, man, and it's like a worship service with a congregation of two. It's just you and the Lord, right? And, and so you, you it moves you 
powerfully in those moments. You come up to a traffic light, you stop, man. You have the, the worship music blaring in your car and maybe you are singing, you're raising your hands and you look over and there's a family looking at you like you've lost your mind, right? Because you're the only one in the car. But yet, that is the power of a song within our life. It generates memories of things from past years. It transports us to places that we have been. Even people that suffer from different elements of dementia, uh, when they forget even who their loved ones are, they can still remember the lyrics to a favorite hymn because it's the power of a song. The Psalms are this compilation, this collection of songs, 30,000 plus words in that book alone. Did you know that the Psalms is the most read book of all scripture? It is. What we see throughout scripture is people singing songs because God has made some unbelievable promise to them. But it's not that just God makes a promise, but God follows through with those promises as well. And they respond to God many times in a song because it's the power of the song in our lives. Remember back in the book of Judges that we have taken a break from. We're going to get back to it the first of the year. You have Deborah and Barak in Judges chapter 5. After this amazing battle where they overcome the Canaanites and Sisera, that what did Deborah and Barak do? They write a song is what they did in, in Judges chapter 5. Moses, after the Red Sea event where the Red Sea closes upon the army of Egypt, he doesn't give a speech, but he writes a song. Hannah, who is barren, desiring a child so greatly in her life. And she asks God, but God doesn't respond for years. And when God does grant her a child, that she gives birth to a child by the name of Samuel. In fact, Samuel being the historic writer of the book of, of Judges. And how does she respond? She writes a song. David, as he is running from Saul for his very life, living in caves, fearful of being killed by King Saul, what does he do? He writes a powerful song in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Even after his sin, his great sin, he writes these songs of lament, these songs of repentance for you and I to see the heart of David in those repentant moments of his life. We find in the New Testament, we find Mary, that of the mother of Christ, who is chosen by God to carry the Christ child, the savior of all humankind, this 14-year-old virgin betrothed to be married, yet she's never known a man and she conceives by the Holy Spirit. So what does she do to express what's going on in her life and in her own body is that she writes a song and her soul magnifies God because there's such power in that that just words alone would fail to describe what's going on in her life so she writes a song for you and I to understand her life in a greater way thousands of years later. It's why you and I come in this place on a Sunday morning and we usually start this meeting out with a song. It's not because it is just church liturgy. It's not because that's what we were taught in school to do with you on a Sunday morning. It's because God has done something so unbelievable in our life. And that is that he stepped into the middle of our existence in the middle of time. And he showed you and I his great love for us. A love that no one has ever loved us that way in the past. Or never will love us in that way in the future. In that he gave his only son for our sins. And he redeemed us. And he saved us from the power of sin. 
understand that. And so we come together every morning and we sing not just because it's the part of our liturgy, but yet it's because God has done something that's so far beyond our understanding that it causes us to sing. This song, O Holy Night, I think helps us to wrap our mind around that gift today. It is really the gospel is what it is written in a a song that is 180 years old. So I began to kind of do some research on the song as well. It was written in 1843. It was written by a French poet by the name of Placid Capo. Now, Understand that's very southern French, okay? So pardon my French this morning, right? Because it's, it's it's not the best. So if you are a French major and you feel like correcting me, please do that gently with me later on, okay? Right? But but yep, it's it's this French poet who also historically is known to be an atheist. He was an atheist when he wrote the anthem "Oh Holy Night." But he never put it to music. It was put to music later on by a man by the, name, by the name of Adolf Adams, who is ethnically Jewish. So every year when we sing the song, Oh Holy Night, we sing a song that was a poem written by an atheist and put to music by someone that is Jewish about the Savior. That's interesting, isn't it? You say, Mark, you're strange. You geek out on the weirdest stuff. I know, but I think it's interesting. Listen, if you want to sound intelligent, have this conversation with someone at lunch today and just lay that out before them and they're going to look at you in awe. Are they not? Yes, that is this. But I think there's something amazing about understanding all of this because what it is, it is a song about where the beauty of heaven meets the ugliness of earth. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That is what Advent is about. That's what our time that we have allotted in our calendar for Advent in our year is all about. It's the moment when beauty of heaven meets the ugliness of earth. So I begin to think more about the song and I begin to read more. I got some more stuff for you as well. It is actually the song that we find mentioned in history during 1870, during the Franco-Persian War, Persia War, when the French and later to be the Germans, but Persia are, are entrenched against each other in, in this battle. Yet on Christmas Day, sometime around 1870, the French begin to sing this song, O Holy Night, from their side of the battle lines. And the Germans can hear them singing because sometimes the enemy was that close. And so the Germans respond with a song as well. And during the middle of this singing of this carol, they leave their stations of battle and they lay their weapons down and they meet in the middle of the battlefield. But what is known as the amazing Christmas truce. It's a power of a song. I also read an article in December of 2004 outside of Fallujah, Iraq, during the Battle of Fallujah, perhaps the one of the most bloodiest battles of all fought in Iraq, that there is this Marine major who is a Catholic chaplain who stands over and stands beside a wounded Marine as he is dying in the sand and he's giving this Marine his last rites. And after he gives this Marine his last rites, right in the middle of the battlefield, he stands 
and begins to sing as loud as he can this anthem, O Holy Night, because sometimes it's just the power of a song about something that is so incredible and unbelievable that God would love people like us. Have you ever thought about that? That God would love people like us. That is absolutely incredible. So I want to do something for a moment to kind of uh, connect us today. You've already said good morning to the person around you. If you've been here for a while, you knew this was coming, right? You had braced yourself for it all the time uh, already. But could you turn to the person around you or next to you and say to them, it is absolutely incredible that God would love someone like you. Could you say that to them? (laughs) Come on, be brave. You've wanted to say it for years, haven't you? And now, and now you can blame it on me, right? Yes, absolutely. It, think about how that levels the room, isn't it? That, that God loves all of us, not just equally, but God loves us all equally in the middle of our mess, in the middle of the brokenness that this room represents this morning, that is the incredible, incredible message of Advent for you and I. But there's also a struggle during this time of year for us as well. Because what happens to us in this time of year is we struggle to remain focused on the substance, which that is the substance of Advent. And we tend to find ourselves immersed just in the shadows of this season. And I think that's the struggle that we face. We, we, we move away from at times that the incarnate Christ stepped out into the middle of our lives, not because we deserved it and not because we merited it, not because somehow that God the Father looked down and saw some type of potential in my life or your life it's not that at all, because what we realize that we brought nothing to the table and he brought everything, everything and held nothing back and we had nothing to give. And that is the message. And what we do in this season sometimes is we struggle with moving away from the substance of what this is all about and finding ourselves immersed in all the shadows of the season. Luke chapter two, verse one. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. It's the answer to all the questions of life. It's the end of our search for meaning is what that is. It's the ultimate source 
of fulfillment. But this Mount Everest of all holidays, that of Christmas, has the ability to say something very different to our souls, to draw our attention to everything but that truth away from the substance of our celebration. He says, oh, Mark, now you're being like Pastor Scrooge, right? We knew this was coming. You know, if, I, if you grew up in church, you always get this uh, painting uh, through a sermon of how all the things that we celebrate outside of those things that basically we just would find in the Bible are somehow evil. That's not the sermon at all. And if you draw that idea from what we're going to talk about this morning, then you have completely misunderstood what we are teaching on today. But I do want to help us to understand why we struggle in this area. Why does this season cause us to become susceptible to the shadows? Trees and gifts and Santa and all those other kinds of things. Why does this season cause us to become susceptible to the shadows and not the substance, which is the gospel? And I would like to answer that for you because there's a very clear answer in Scripture. And the answer is, it's how we're wired. It's how we're wired. You say, but Mark, we are all wired very differently. I beg to differ with you on that. I do. Let me take you to a scripture in the book of Genesis chapter 1 in verse 26. And here's what it says in Genesis 1 and 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That is all of us in the room. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. That is important to understand. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. This is what sets you and I apart from all the other elements of the creative order. It's not that just we as humans have a conscience and no other part of the creative order has a conscience. It's more than that. No, it's that we have been made in the image of God. So here's the understanding that we have to have that the rest of the creative order declares the glory of God. All the other elements of the creative order declares the glory of God, the mountains, the Rockies, the Grand Canyon, all those kinds of things, the Smokies, all those things declare the glory of God. Humankind has been given the unique and exclusive God-given ability to reflect the glory of God. And there is a huge difference between that of that of declaring the glory of God and reflecting the or, or, or declaring the glory of God and reflecting the glory of God. Because we are created in his image. Nothing else in all of creation reflects the image of God like humanity. So God made us in his image. There are certain untouchable, intangible things that he has sealed inside of each of us. Can I give you one of them that helps you to understand why we struggle with this Advent season. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Now you are going to know why we read Ecclesiastes on the beginning of Advent season. It's Ecclesiastes 3 and 11. For he has made everything beautiful in its time. But look what this is also. He has put eternity into man's hearts. He has put eternity into man's hearts. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. It's our susceptibility to the season. 
This explains fully for you and I this morning why we become so susceptible to this wonderful time of year in becoming consumed with the shadows, at times fully missing the Advent season in this substance. It is. If you've been in church very long, give me a moment to explain. Then you've heard preachers say at some point that there's a hole in man's heart that only God can fill. Or there is this cube spaced in a man's heart, this box shape in a man's heart or a woman's heart that only God can fill those places. That is all derived from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. That's the very core of our existence, our heart. A gap of eternity that we're longing to fill. And it seems as if the shadows of the season offer the answer to filling that gap in our life. That's it. God wired us this way. With this gap of eternity within all of us. And what seems to be the right answer is... That everything about this season, the shadows of this season, are adequate to fill those spaces within our heart and within our life. So we seek to fill eternal spaces with things that are temporal. Just the dichotomy of the two words, right? Eternal and temporal. If you just took it out of the spiritual understanding and you just looked at it from just that of of, of just a fleshly understanding, perhaps, or just what kind of makes sense in our logic, then you would realize that they don't go together, yet that's what we try to do all, almost continually in our lives sometimes in this time of year. It's the reason we're prone to fall for this season with all of its promises, because it's deep in the core of our own hearts. So we ask things like, oh, you know, surely there's more. I'm missing something. I don't know if you ever had that feeling or not, or, or, or I can be more. And, and so marketers prey on, on that gap of eternity within our lives. And our default is always to try to stuff things in there that are temporary to calm the voice that is deep inside of our lives. And let me say to you something. That those things that we try to poke into that place that it's only for God and things that are eternal are, are, are not. And I'll use some examples in a moment. But they're not always you know, wrapped in a box. And they're not always something that perhaps you can drive either. But many times they're relationships and things like that that we try to put in those places within our lives. But let me be honest with you this morning. Temporal things do work sometimes. I mean, let's be honest. They do make you feel better. They do. They work for a season. Why? Because the temporal things are not necessary. The problem, and I think this goes back to many sermons that we've heard over the years that would paint all of this with a very evil brush, that the temporal things are not necessarily the problem, but it's the pursuit of the temporal over the eternal that becomes problematic for you and I in our lives. It wouldn't be Advent unless I quoted C.S. Lewis, right? So let me quote some C.S. Lewis for you this morning. As half-hearted creatures, he says, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition. You say, Mark, that's a very odd quote for Advent. I know, but hang on for a minute. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant 
by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Wow. You have to sit in that for a moment. Those are powerful words. Well, Mark, I would like some scripture. You know, I just don't want to hear C.S. Lewis. Okay, good. Romans chapter one, verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The exchange of that is what that is eternal for that, that it is temporal. We've settled, is what it's saying. Thinking that what makes you and I happy is more of what we already have, is what we do. But temporal within itself, is not, that's not the problem. The problem is that I think we're far too easily pleased during this time of year. We, we settle for those temporal things without looking at the substance of what this is all about. That we are amazed that he saves people like us. And that's what this is about. So I'm not here to beat up on Christmas. That's not the, that's not the point at all. In fact, I am the Christmas guy. I love this time of year. I have been listening to, for, to Christmas music since September. Yeah, oh, I got a who over here on the side. That's good. Yes, perfect. Uh, so I, I am. Listen, I, I, I love our trees at home. I, I love our plastic trees at home. You know, I, I really do. I, for those of you that are purists in here that only want the real trees in life, then, you know, you're judging me right now, right? Is there any purists that have to have the real thing still? Let me see your hands of all those Christmas. Oh, there's some of you out there. Okay, that's, that's good. That's good. I, I admire you for that. The last time I had one of those things in my house, that, um, that it dried out so bad that I tried to take the lights off of it, and it was like a two-hour acupuncture section, session with me, right? And I was bleeding, and so I finally got just, I don't know if I got angry at it, but I really lost my patience with it. And I took it down from the stand. Reba can attest this being the truth. I drug it into the backyard and I burnt it tree lights and all. Everything. I did. I showed it who was boss. Yes. The last living Christmas tree, maybe. I don't know. Maybe not in our home. But yes. I love this. I love the stockings over the fireplace. I do. I'm not painting these things as evil. I grew up in church where it was painted evil. And that's not my point at all. It's not at all. Listen, Santa is not Satan, even though they both wear red and they have minions working for them, okay? Sort of redefines the movie Elf for you, doesn't it? Yeah. And I do think that Elf on the Shelf is creepy. I really do. I think it's odd, but we'll move on from that. Yes. But here's what marketers do. They, they tell us that, that there's something missing in our lives. And, and what we realize is happening by looking at these verses, Genesis and that of Exodus, is that they have hijacked Something that's very spiritual. Do you see that? Is what they've done. Yes. 
So your life is missing, missing something. So what you need is a, is a new Mercedes with a huge red bow on it, right? Can I get an amen in the room? Uh, some of you say, no, I'd rather have a truck or something, right? Me too. I, I, yes. And all of a sudden you're saying, wow, I wasn't even aware I had that need in my life. You know, thank you, marketing gods, for pointing it out to me as well. And you see what they do is it appeals to the way that God has wired you. I, I hope this helps us to understand why we do struggle with these things during this time of year. It makes sense. So it seems that the season solves everything for us. And I would say, no, it does not. It's the substance of the season that is the answer to everything that fills the gap in your life. It is the O Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth that God stepped into the mess of our lives. That's what it is. That verse from Ecclesiastes, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And I always thought that was a very interesting text after that part about the eternity in our hearts. And what does that mean? It means that God, God doesn't give us all the answers to life. Because if God gave us all the answers to life, then life itself would hold the key to life is what it is. So God doesn't do that. But here's what God does. He gives us something better in that he gives us himself. He gives us himself. So I don't, have a ha- I don't have to have all the answers, right? I don't have to have those things immediately in my life because I have him and he's enough. He's the one that never bails on me when I mess up in life. He's the one that always sticks with me when, when, when life is, is rough. So what I realize is I go back to what, to what C.S. Lewis said, and, and that is that this, that, that I, I should not become so easily pleased during this time of season, but I find fullness in the substance of Advent this morning that he gave himself for me. But there's more. And let me tie all this together this morning with this thought from Colossians chapter one and verse 27. Look at what this says. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. But I underline this next part because this is what I want you to hear. I believe, or this is what God would have us to hear this morning, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature to Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he might powerfully work within me. It's more than just his appearance. Advent is more than just celebrating the appearance of Christ. It's the depth of his appearance. It's the reality of Advent reorders all of creation. The reality of Advent reorders all of creation. Let me give you one more C.S. Lewis quote. The last one for the day, I promise. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Don't be so easily pleased in this life. 
There is more for you and I. What he talks about, Paul talks about here in the book of Colossians, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's called union with Christ is what we call it theologically. And what that means is this, that all of your sins, all of your rebellion, past, present, future was taken from you. Put that on on Christ on the cross, that Christ's perfection and righteousness is imputed to you so that when God sees you, he sees Christ in you. And the reality of that reorders everything about our lives. It does. It would have been enough if God had just showed up. Yes, it would have been in in that of the incarnate Christ. It would have been enough if Jesus had just died for us, but there is more. And that is, he says here, the hope of glory is when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. That is Advent. That is Christmas. That is the good news. That is what holds my life together when other things are seemingly coming apart. That's what holds my life together when Advent doesn't or Christmas doesn't work out for me. When I'm not around the people I want to be with. When the relationship I thought I was going to have has not worked out. When I not able to give like I used to because my financial situation in life has changed. When I even find myself perhaps alone during these times of year, what I realize it is Christ in me that I'm never alone. He is always with me. And when the father looks at me, he doesn't see my sin and my brokenness and all the things that I've done and all the broken promises I've made. But when the father looks at me, he sees me in the perfection of his son, Jesus. That's the fullness of the season. That's the foundation that we build our life upon. That's what we celebrate this time of year together. So how does this reality change the season we're in? Because I want to be practical with you today. So how does this change the season that I'm in? Because we've established already that all the things that we do during this season, all the things that we might say are shadows of this season, we're not branding them as wrong or sinful in your life. So what does this do? Oh, here's what it does. The reality of Advent enriches my celebration. It enriches all of those things. It changes everything because Christ is in me. And in the light of that truth, then all the common graces that you and I share together during this Advent season, all the trees and the lights and nativity scenes, all the songs and the events that we go to, all the times we get together as groups and we celebrate are brighter. They're more meaningful. The songs move me in a deeper way. They move me in the right direction, though, toward that of the substance of all of this, and that is Jesus. So I'll be home for Christmas. You know this song, right? Is not what I long for to fulfill me as the song would suggest. Why? Because I'm not that easily pleased. But it's the truth that Christ, God incarnate in this life, has now taken up residence within me. That he vacated a manger to be present in my life. That's it. 
That's Advent. So here's the thing. I may make it home for Christmas this year. And I know that's kind of like cheesy kind of sounding, right? But I may not. But that's not what fulfills me. I may not have a white Christmas. Listen, you live in South Carolina. It most likely will be a liquid Christmas, right? Yeah, true. Yes. I mean, it's almost 70 degrees today and this is December. Don't you love it? Absolutely. But that's not what this season is ultimately about. And I think this is so important for all of us to, if you want to say, launch our Advent season together with this understanding that centers us. And because of that centering of what Advent truly is, then it makes all the other celebrations much more meaningful and vibrant to us. That's just incredible that God would love someone like us. Incredible. And he doesn't stop there, but he lives within us. And that changes everything because Advent reorders everything. And because of that, I'm not so easily pleased. So you can't buy me off with a new Mercedes. And some of you are saying, Mark, speak for yourself, right? Yeah. You can't speak for all of us in this room. Because that's not what this season is about. So I, I believe as God speaks to us through these words this morning that we have a greater understanding of why we do struggle at times. But yet not branding all the joy this season as being unspiritual. But understanding the place in which those things should find themselves in our lives. And when we do try to stuff the place of eternity in our life with things that are temporal, that we realize why we still feel like we're missing something. It's because how God wired us. I'm not saying the next time you see a Christmas advertisement that you, you know, you jump up and you point your finger at the TV and say, I will not fall for that. I know what you're up to. No. But down deep inside, you know that that place within you is only for the understanding that God 
it's incredible that God would love someone like you. And he's resident in you as a believer. But maybe you're here and you just are you're thinking, Mark, man, I just wandered in this morning because this is what people do in the South. They go to church during this time of year and I don't have a relationship with Jesus. But I like some of the things I've heard because I feel alone in a room full of people. Christmas just doesn't do it for me. And maybe you come to the realization that because it doesn't do it for you, that's not what it was designed to do anyway. Because it can never feel that place in your life, only God can. So maybe this is a moment for you to make that decision for him. Well, I don't understand him. He's God. And you may not understand everything about him if you studied theology the rest of your life. But understand one thing. If it's so incredible that he would love someone like me who failed him so many times, then how incredible is it that he loves you? Wrap your mind around that. that the Father did something for you that no one has ever done or no one will ever do in that he stepped into the middle of your brokenness and sent his son Jesus as a babe in a manger. But the manger was not the end, but it was the means to an end. And that is that resides inside of you through an experience with him. So when we pray in a moment, I would encourage you to talk to God like you would talk to a friend. To confess your sins. I'm not saying that you have to go through everything on the list. For some of us in the room, if we started doing that, then We're just gonna say we're locking the doors and you leave when you can, right? Because you're gonna be here a long time. But you confess that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. The savior has been sent and that is Jesus. Pray and ask him to come into your life. You say, but Mark, I gotta clean things up. No. Sorry, that's not the way it works either. Jesus didn't wait for the world to clean itself up before he stepped into the middle of the mess of the world. He stepped right into the middle of it. And he does the same still in our lives. Trust him there. At the end of the service, we'll have people up here to pray up front with you. And I would encourage you to come and pray with them and talk with them as well. If you ask Christ to come into your life during this prayer, then I would say, hey, what a great way to start out at the Lord's table as well in our communion. And we'll explain that in just a moment.
But if you would take a posture of prayer with me for a minute and let's pray together and open our hearts to God. So Lord, no one knows us like you know us. No one sees us like you see us. That we know that there is nothing hid from you, God. There's nothing beyond your reach or your forgiveness in our life, your redemptive work. So Father, here we are all on level ground that it is absolutely incredible that you would love someone like us. So God, speak to us where we are in our journey today. For those, God, that are contemplating this step toward you this morning in their life, God, we know that by your spirit, you are drawing them to you by your loving kindness. God, for those that are following you, but they're struggling in this area of trying to find peace and happiness and fulfillment by putting temporal things into a space in their life that's intentionally made for those things that are eternal. God, that you would by your spirit reveal that to us and that we would repent of that, God would lay those things before you and we would come back to the gospel to remember how incredible it is that not only have you loved a person like me but you live inside a person like me as well so father let this be a day that we recenter ourselves on the substance of Advent so that all of our celebration and lights and stockings and giving and receiving gifts and food and everything else would be more brilliant and more celebratory and more meaningful to us. Because Advent reorders everything in our life. We thank you for that, Father. We give you praise for that today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.